I love how Matthew here sets it up for us right in the beginning. It's a trap. They're trying to catch him. They're trying to get him caught up in something, and it's definitely political. It's also religious. And that's often the choice, I think, that we feel like we have in politics and in many other things in our lives, that it's either one or the other. It's almost like we think that, we're, that we are written in computer code, that it's a one or a zero at all times, and that that is our only choice. And that's often the way arguments are set up to trap us. Even in the history of religion and spirituality, there have been these great arguments about the material and the spiritual. Which one is better? Which one should we be following? And there are those who are like, well, everything that is important is really on the spiritual plane. It's, it's not about our bodies. We need to deny our bodies. We need to deny all the things that are earthly in order to connect with God. And then there are others that would say that, no, 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 it's, it's really about the body. We need to honor the body. We need to take care of the body. We need to do, it's a trap. One or zero is a trap. Just like declaring things black or white is a trap. It's looking to put us in a position where we have nowhere to go. And our brains love it. Right? Because let's just, let's just talk about, just because it's, it's out there, because I'm not going to shy away from this. Let's just talk about Democrats and Republicans. Right? If I can put you in a box, then now I know everything about you. Right? I know everything about you. If I look at the color of your skin, oh, I, now I know everything about you, right? That's the trap of, of our mind. And I would say, to use the big theological word, that's a trap of sin. It's a trap of evil to have us look at individuals and to say they're this or they are that, and that's the end of the story. And so the Pharisees are trying to entrap Jesus. And what I love is they bring along some Herodians. And I'm sure that you all know what the political features of this are, right? I don't, I don't need to explain to you biblical scholars about Pharisees and Herodians, right? No. Okay, I need to explain Pharisees and Herodians. So Pharisees, of course, Jewish folks, they're, they're often the people that Jesus has the most arguments with. And, and just remember, who do you have the most arguments with? Generally, it's people within your own family. So, so Jesus probably lines up with the Pharisees in some ways more than other folks within the Jewish realm, and he critiques them the most, but they are the ones who seek to follow the law as closely as possible. They are the ones who, who believe that by doing the rituals, by doing the things of the law, they want to make sure that they are honoring God with that. Jesus' critique of them has been that basically they, they honor the law, but they're not really honoring God or other people by their practice of it. Um, and they, they, of course, would be very much against Roman rule, Roman op- occupation and, and rule over the Jewish people. They, they would believe that the Jews ought to have their own king or their own leader who follows the, the rule and law of God, not the rule and law of, of the Romans. The Herodians, on the other hand, also generally Jewish folks because Herod was a Jew who was selected 
to, to be over that area. And so then his sons carried on his work. So they were aligned with the Romans. So they definitely were like, oh, we're, we're aligning ourselves with the political powers that are in play right now. We're aligning ourselves with Caesar. And so I think it's interesting that these two natural political opponents are going to try to trap Jesus together. Neither one of them like him because guess what? They can't put him in a box. He has defied being named as one or the other. Is he, is he a seditionist? Is he an insurrectionist? Or is he a loyalist? Which one is he? Does he collaborate with Caesar? Or is he fomenting some sort of revolution? And that's what they're trying to get him to be part of because whichever way he answers this question, we know, well, and I love this too, like, isn't this the way, right? Teacher, we know that you are sincere. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You show deference to no one. For you do not regard people with partiality. What they're saying there, in my opinion, is you don't pull your punches. Right? You're not, you, don't, you don't follow one way or the other. And, and I, I would say behind all that, they're really super confused about where he's coming from and where he's going to go. But they lay all this on there because you know, flattery is a wonderful way to sort of lull your opponent to sleep a little bit. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? And they're hoping, right, each one of them differently. One of them's hoping that he says, oh, well, yes, you have to pay the taxes. It's lawful to pay taxes. Because then that means that you're a collaborator. Well, the Pharisees then, well, that's great. Then we can, we can throw him in that box and now we can really, we can make an example of him and, and we don't have to listen to him anymore. And then on the other side, if he says, oh, no, 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 you, you, it's not lawful to pay taxes. So again, one or zero, then, oh, then he's, he's a seditionist. He could be an insurrectionist. Now Rome is going to deal with him. And so, of course, Jesus, and I love this because he comes at it in this other way and he says, well, I mean, he he says, aware of their malice, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? And remember that that hypocrite, the, the Greek word really was used originally for actors on the stage in Greek culture because actors on the stage back in that time, they were all male. Women did not, were not actors. They wore masks literally wore masks to play the characters that they played. Because many times an actor would play several characters within a Greek tragedy or a, or a Greek thing. So it literally meant someone who covers their face, who wears a, a full mask and plays the role of someone else. So he's, he's saying, you hypocrites, you're, you're, just, you're actors on the stage. You're not bringing the truth to bear here. So he says, show me the coin. Show me the coin. And of course, as we know, like if you pull out a coin out of your pocket or you pull, pull out a dollar, what do we have on there? Well, at least up until recently, we mostly had dead presidents. Right? So, so there, was, you know, there was a thing going around like, you know, if you're like, okay, well, show me the presidents. I'd like me some dead presidents. You know, I need some Benjamins, as we would say. Right? Well, he's not a dead president, but I just named a person who's not a dead president. 
Benjamin Franklin. But anyway, so, you know, I want, but I want these things that, that have these dead people on. Well, who's, so whose image is on here? Well, it was Caesar. And on the coin, on the denarius, which was, which was the coins you had to use to pay the tax, there were other modes of payment going around, but you had to use the denarius. You had to use that to pay your property tax because they had property tax. Every year you had to pay property tax. You had to basically pay an, an income tax of sorts as well, even a little different than today. But it had his name on it, and basically it said on the coin that Caesar was divine, that Caesar was a god. I mean, ours say now, right? What, what do our coins say on them? In God we trust. If you don't know, that wasn't on the coins originally. That was put in there in the 20th century. You know, that century that was a while ago? The 20th century. Show me the coin used for the tax. And he brought him to Denarius and he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? Well, of course, it's Caesar's head. You know, Caesar's title. The emperor. Give to the emperor what is the emperor's. Give to God what is God's. Done. Walk away. And they're left there like we would all like to leave some conversations speechless. Right? We'd love to leave some conversations with the person who we just confused or nailed to the wall, speechless. Wouldn't we love that? So we get caught in this trap of is it one or the other? So let's just talk about some things. If you're a person who is in favor of some form of gun control, you're against freedom. You're against someone else's rights. If you think that we ought to reconsider the role that our police operate within our society, you're against law and order. If you think that separating children of immigrants from their parents at the border is abhorrent, then clearly you're for taking away American jobs and just having a porous border. We, we set these things up we set these things up as one or zero, zero-sum games. And if you just stop for a second and think about life, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. I'm going to say this, and I've said this many times throughout this whole thing. There is no Christian answer to immigration, to gun control, to the economy, none of that. There's no Christian answer. And even though, even though some people would want to tell you that there is, but there is this. And it came out of a class that we've been doing as we've studied the book called Be the Bridge. And it was lifted up to me by one of our elders who doesn't currently serve on session. And she is a person who has worked and worked in the areas of trying to bring people together around issues for her entire career. And she has mostly been disheartened, as she said so herself, in that work, especially in this time. Because as she said, and I'm not quoting her, I'm paraphrasing, in the secular realm, it's hard to get agreement on what, what the basic things are. So that we can even get to how do we treat people? Where is this supposed to go? 
But what, what heartened her was, as we studied this book was because it was coming from a Christian perspective, from a perspective of the church being involved in racial reconciliation, that's what Be the Bridge was about, is that she said, we have a fundamental understanding that human beings are worthy of dignity and honor. That first and foremost, we are to be for others. And we start with that basis. And her argument was the church ought to be leading on this subject because if we have that foundation, that changes the conversation for us. I think it's powerful. I think it's powerful. Because when you come to understand that our faith is not just about some private piety, it's not just about me getting my soul saved so that I can go to heaven and be with God and feel like I'm righteous. And it's also not about taking control of our institutions from a religious perspective so that they can operate in, in the ways that we think they ought to. That it's, not, that it's not about a takeover of culture because we've seen how well that's really happened. I mean, when, when the Roman emperor became a Christian and declared that Christianity was, was the faith of the society, for many, many people would say that's one of the places where Christianity started to go off the rails. We got married up to the institution of the church and of society rather than to the gospel and the good news for all people. Because I think sometimes we Christians, as we, as we are taught and it becomes part of our personal pie, we forget that Jesus, what he brought to us through his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, is a redemption for all. A redemption for all. All people are worthy of dignity and honor. And that is not one or zero. That means in, in different situations, we're going to have differing opinions about things. But if we can seek to treat each other with dignity and honor... I think we get a lot further down the road of conversation about what is good for people in this situation and that situation and the other situation. I think it is a trick of our minds and of sin and of evil to convince us that everything we talk about is one or zero, that I need to be in this camp or that camp. Jesus, in so many places, stuns people because he shows that there is a different way of looking at things. And so, what does Jesus mean when he says, give to God what is God's? Oh, well, what is God's? Well, one of the main things that is God's is, and where God's image is imprinted is in us. It's in every person you meet, 
every person you see from the, the checkout person at Target to, the, to your kid who wakes up in, <laughs> in the morning, you know, not having a great day, it, to your spouse, to your lover, to, to the person you walk by on the street, to the person screaming on the TV, to whoever it is, the image of God is imprinted on all of us through our creation. And so we are called to give honor and dignity and to see that image coming through people in the way that we treat them and not seek to trap them into one or the other camp. To seek to draw people together as messy as that is going to be, as hard as that is going to be, as difficult as it is right here and right now, we do that because we know that in the power of the Spirit, Jesus redeemed all people. Not just me or my tribe, but all people and all people are worthy of dignity and honor. And so if you're listening to this today, I want you to consider the ways that you have been interacting with our politics, with, with the arguments of the day, and I want you to bring that into your prayer life and to seriously look at how you think about the people that are on the quote-unquote other side. Can we see them as beloved children of God? Can we humble ourselves? And so we don't just set up this dichotomy of God versus the emperor. Jesus gave us more and calls us to more. Amen.